Excuse me. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to Morgan Dorks. This is a bi-weekly Daria podcast where we take an in-depth look at our favorite animated teenage misanthrope episode by episode. I'm Rob Press. And I'm Nissa Lee. And today we are looking at the first half of the second Daria movie, Is It College Yet? Wherein <laughs> it's time to wrap up this series once and for all as Daria and the rest of Lawndale High figure out their college plans, but not everybody's going to end up where they thought. Also, Quinn's got a cool new friend who appears to have a drinking problem. And Mr. O'Neill's getting married. Look, there, there's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The second movie served as the Daria season finale and aired on January 21st, 2002. It was co-written by Glenn Eichler and Pe Peggy Nichol, who also co-wrote the first movie. Is it fall yet? Eichler has, of course, put together a number of the series' best episodes, while Nickel has, you know, been kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Peggy Nickel going out. <laughs> She's going out how she lived. Because <laughs> uh, this, this one is kind of all over the place as well for me. Um, Interesting. Just a, mm. uh, well, well, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm, I feel like this is one of those ones where I may end up thinking higher or lower of it based on our conversation. Just a note that we will be covering again. This is the first half of our coverage of the movie, so yes. this is not the this is not the Morgan Dorks series finale. Um, but as a note, that we will be covering the first thirty four minutes. Uh, it's thirty three thirty nine specifically uh, of Is It College Yet? In this episode, uh, we'll be wrapping up the rest in our next episode. Oh my goodness! So yeah. this is our penultimate episode. Yes. Uh, well, for uh, mm, yeah. okay, I mean. As we know, Morgan Dorks, it is the penultimate yes. episode, but yes. there, I'm sure there will be, you know, stuff to talk about down the line. Uh, we've talked about that plenty as, as yeah. you know, when Jody premieres and, and, you know, maybe we come around to like actually looking at fan fiction and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> we'll see. I don't know if I would, if I were writing fan fiction, I don't know if I would want anybody making a podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, you know what? That's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. It, it might just come down to, Hey, when's, when's Jody going to air? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll get to that. There'll be plenty of time for awkward. Hey, what's next talk yes. um, in our next episode. But in the meantime, we should probably get into the beat by beat. Yes. Let's do it. So after opening credits set to College Try Gives Me Blisters by the fabulous Splendora, uh, we start the movie to learn to fly by the Foo Fighters as we join Daria and Jane at the pizza place. They're talking college applications, more on that momentarily. Uh, Jane has applied to Lawndale State and State University and is putting together her portfolio for her dream school, Boston Fine Arts College. Daria has applied to Bromwell, which is apparently packed with stuffy rich assholes, as well as a few other schools like Raft, which just so happens to also be in Boston. I'm positive that won't come up later. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so the opening credits, 
Let's talk about them. <laughs> They're really cool. Yes, They're really cool. I love them. Um, so they show Daria and Jane going through the American college experience throughout history. Um, of course, the college experience has little to do with college and more to do with moments in history. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's Jane working in a factory in World War II, or Kevin being the creepy sailor who forced a woman to kiss him uh, in that famous or notorious uh, VJ in Times Square photo. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what I like about the opening credits is how it taps into this notion that when you go to college, you're joining a tradition of history makers. Hmm. You know, college is where things happen, as opposed <laughs> to high school where absolutely nothing happens. Although Darius <laughs> has been pretty eventful. I mean, like, I feel like there are a lot of kids that go into college uh, with a particular, like, decade in mind, you know? <laughs> sure. And they somehow want to emulate that. <laughs> wow, you know what? That's a – Yeah. <laughs> That's a real good point. What was some your folks decade? <laughs> oh, pretty, pretty hardcore nineties. I yeah. want to say. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, I never, you know, I never got to like the grunge style or anything like that. But yeah, I definitely wore a lot of like hoodies and plaid, uh, plaid button-up shirts. <laughs> so you uh, were reliving, <laughs> it, you, you know, what you missed in childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yes. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I was I was wearing all the stuff that I I like grew up watching on TRL and going like, oh, I wish I could pull that off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What about you? What decade did you and mm, is it in the first half of the century or the second half of the century? Oh, mine was <laughs> definitely the sixties into the seventies. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was definitely a wannabe hippie. That yeah, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, the beat generation into the hippie era era was always my jam, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. So. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, memories. I know. <laughs> we've been over this before, but it, speaking of college, we've been over this before, but it is way, 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 way too late for these kids to be going through the college application yes. process. Yes. The writers have been playing fast and loose with Daria's timeline the entire time and they're doing it right to the bitter end. Yeah. And, and the colleges, they're they're responding way, 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 way too quickly. Oh yeah. Daria gets word back in like two days. Yeah. <laughs> like they There's overnight no their response to her. <laughs> right. There was like there was weeks of of or maybe even months of just like sitting around and being like, mm, all right. When's it gonna happen? Anyway, speaking of um Lawndale State and State University and Raft and Bromwell and Boston Fine Arts College. Uh, it must be a lot of fun to come up with fictional college names. Yeah. Um, Bromwell, Raft, Ellis, Boston Fine Arts College. Uh, there is actually a Boston University College of Fine Arts. Um, so, I mean, Boston Fine Arts College is maybe not one of the more interesting ones, but they they just rattle off a ton of fake college names in this episode and it's amazing. Yeah. You know, when I heard BFAC, I was like, yeah, that that sounds like a thing. Um Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> um I know though that Ellis is the name of a boys school in London 
and I don't know why I know this. <laughs> like I looked it up on Wikipedia and none of the the prominent students listed on on that page stand out to me. Um, but but one is described simply as a money maker. <laughs> so wow. Everybody knows a money maker is not a person, it's a body part. Uh, <laughs> geez. Come on, Wikipedia. <laughs> Can anybody edit this damn thing? Oh, oh no. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> um, later on, Daria's back at the Morgendorfer residence. Uh, we hear a strange little girl by Tori Amos as Jake freaks out over a credit card bill. Seems Quinn has gone on a bit of a spending spree and it's the last straw for Helen and Jake. Helen lays down the lawn and insists Quinn get a job, which she reacts to somewhat predictably. Uh, Daria, who to this point has been a spectator, gets pulled into a subsequent discussion about college applications. Jake offers to help with Daria's application to Middleton, and Daria politely excuses herself, but not before Helen notices that Daria's reaction to the prospect of Middleton was pretty bad. Uh, Helen braces Jake for the notion that Middleton might not be in Daria's future, but he's holding on to the idea that she'll want to follow in their footsteps. Is it at this point that he... That, that he makes this leap that if she doesn't go to Middleton, she'll go to military school. I don't remember if it's here or later, but yeah. it's a pretty good, it's yeah. a pretty good little, uh, it, little it, bit. It does happen, and it's amazing. Um, but more <laughs> on that later. Um, my favorite line, perhaps of the whole, <laughs> the whole movie so far, is six hundred dollars for on shoes. That you walk in on the ground? <laughs> oh, damn, Quinn. $600 and they were on sale? Yeah. The, so I'll, I'll probably, I'll reference uh, some of the discussion we had on, uh, we had a fair amount of discussion about this movie on Twitter last night uh, out of nowhere. And I'll, I'll probably reference it again a little bit later when we start talking about Tom. But one of the points that was brought up was we're again going back to and this is going to show up time and time again, especially in the first half, and I'm sure in the second half of this uh, this whole thing, is Daria's family is more well-off than, than they are portrayed. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and it's the it's subtle things like, Quinn spent $600 on shoes. And the response to that is, all right, well, you're going to get a job and you're going to work and you're going to pay off that that credit card bill instead of like, holy shit, now we need to sell stuff to make up for rent Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Um, I mean, it was on a credit card that she put it, you know, so, uh, but still. Yeah, but I'm like the, okay, I I grew up like relatively like lower middle class, right? Like lower middle, middle class, right? I mean, I'd say I'm like pretty firmly entrenched in middle at, at this point, but like just the idea of you know, the concept of looking at shoes on a shelf that have a $600 price tag and saying like, yeah, okay. Like- <laughs> I don't even think I've ever seen $600 shoes. I don't, I, I can't even fathom <laughs> what $600 shoes would be. Um, I mean- that, Like, wouldn't, would you ever feel comfortable wearing them? No. Oh my God, no. <laughs> Jesus. You know, I only I, I only recently felt comfortable buying shoes that were like over forty dollars. <laughs> yes, same, same. <laughs> you know, it's uh, 
I spent $60 on running shoes and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> right? And and you know, I when I spend that much money on shoes, I'm like, I am going to take them and get them repaired every year. And I'm gonna oh, yeah. take care of these suckers. <laughs> I'm gonna learn where I'm gonna learn where the local cobbler is. Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Though we, of course, got to see Middleton way back in the third episode of the entire series, College Board. Uh, You might remember it was not the most impressive place in the world, Uh, although Daria did immediately set up a business correcting papers and Quinn immediately became keg queen. (laughs) Yeah, so you can see how she might not be challenged (laughs) by Middleton. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense for her to not want to go there. I also... All right, so I dealt with like just a a little, and when I say a little, I mean like just a shade of the like quote unquote follow in my footsteps thing when I was looking at colleges. Did your one of your parents go to Rowan? No, no. Um, actually, my <laughs> funny story. My brother went to Rowan, and I believe he failed out in like a year and a half. Oh. Uh, so, so I came back and and beat the shit out of the place. Uh, but <laughs> but my dad went to Kane University up okay. in up in North Jersey. And he like only a couple times he was like, well, you know, you could go to Kane. You could yeah. uh, you know there, there was never any pressure or anything like that. Certainly never anything as heavy handed as as what Jake is doing. But generally speaking, you know, it's weird. And I feel like and I wonder if this goes away as you get older, but I feel like our generation doesn't seem to give a shit about that. Like, mm-hmm. I know I couldn't care less if my hypothetical child goes to Rowan. I don't know how important it would be for, for your child to go there. No, n- not important at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so so I think this may in part be our being in middle class lower middle class, um, you know, growing mm. up in, in that bracket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that may be part of it, but I'm, I, I don't think it's important at all. I, f- I, I think maybe it is our generation. Maybe if I had gone to an Ivy League and it was already a family tradition, or mm. if I was in the, fr- I was the first in the family to go, Right, then it might matter to me that like maybe my child consider it, <laughs> but sure. but I've never been the school spirit type, <laughs> so <laughs> I I wouldn't expect anyone that you know came from my womb to be <laughs> either. <laughs> um, also, I think a lot of people in our generation saw college as something we had to do. So the the choice True. of which college was the only illusion of control we actually had. That's yeah. a very good point. Yeah, or it, feel, it feels like you're kind of getting railroaded into into a very specific plan. So yes. you're going to get any kind of choice where you can. Yep. Over Sigh. at the yeah, seriously, <laughs> Jesus. Over at the Sloans, Daria and Tom are talking about college application stuff. Seems Tom is kind of a shoe in for Bromwell because he's a rich white man whose family is deeply connected with the university. Daria is going to be touring the Bromwell campus with the Sloans, which works out because she can hit up some of the Boston schools she's applied to while she's up there. Out at a swanky as hell restaurant, the Fashion Club is celebrating Stacy's birthday. Sandy gets in a dig about Stacy not having a date for her birthday because Sandy's going to heal it up forever. Mm-hmm. And Qu- Quinn mentions she can't believe she's going to have to get a job. 
Stacy suggests Quinn work here at the restaurant. Quinn's actually pretty okay with the idea, but there isn't much time to talk about it before the waitress drops off a little cake with a candle in it for Stacy to blow out. While getting ready to make a wish and blow the candle out, Stacy's interrupted yet again by Sandy being an enormous asshole. Stacy shoots Sandy a glare and finally blows the candle out, but then gets a little cagey about revealing what she wished for. After all, she says, it didn't come true. I'm sure we won't be hearing about that either. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, you you can see the look in her face before oh she blows God, that yeah. candle out. And you're like, oh, man, totally. Sandy's going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you piss off someone about to blow out a birthday candle? I know. Just, oh, man. Good for Stacy, though. <laughs> um, of course, Tom is going to get into an incredible university because of money and nepotism. Oh, yeah. Of course. Meanwhile, Daria's family is freaking out over credit card bills. Maybe it's just that we're kind of programmed to look for it at this point, but it certainly feels like the writers are setting a bit of groundwork for the class disparity thing uh, to be a significant part of this movie's plot. Yeah, you're right. They, they really do set it up very well. Of course, as we mentioned before, Daria's family is pretty well off, but I mean, they're yeah. not like the Sloan's well off. Um, right. Yeah, we've covered that before where yeah. there's like, there's levels of privilege. You yes. Know? I have to say that Tom's not so humble confidence about his chances at Bromwell are a bit stomach turning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, perhaps it speaks to my own station in life, but I have never encountered someone who was not nervous about getting into the school they wanted to get into. Um, but then again, I don't think I grew up with anyone who had to interview to get into a super stuffy school like Bromwell. So Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, the whole interviewing to get into school for like what liberal arts, it doesn't make sense to me. Um <laughs> <laughs> I love the, I love the, I love the, what, liberal arts? <laughs> Just flick, flick it off, you know. Anyway. Um, Say the liberal arts majors. <laughs> so uh, if I were Daria, I would be very self-conscious about touring the other non-Bromwell schools with Tom yes. and his mom. Like I wouldn't be able to truly enjoy the experience because I'd be judging it through stuffy money eyes. And, <laughs> you know, this scenario just does not bode well for Daria. It's like when you really want to spend time window shopping and browsing for a long time in a store, but you're with someone who doesn't really like shopping, you know? Yeah. 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 It's like they're always They're always going there. Yeah. And then, yeah. And they're, yeah. They're those like noises. <laughs> trashing stuff as they go along or just like making snarky comments like, oh, I guess that's, you know. Yeah. Or, or just, just like yeah. acting like they're, they're going to faint at any moment. Just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, side note, Stuffy Money Eyes was definitely my favorite Bare Naked Ladies album. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. It's pretty adorable that the fashion club took Stacy out for her birthday. Uh, yeah. It's kind of wild that they took her to such an insanely impressive place. Uh, like our high school and college friends got trips to the diner or, or Applebee's. I remember Applebee's. <laughs> wow. Um, and, and you know what? They also just dressed to the nines, which I love. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it's fancy when Quinn pulls her hair back in a big bun, right? That's a very good point. She yes, only does that when it's a when it's an occasion. For a date, she'll curl her hair. <laughs> <laughs> also, she's wearing boots with a skirt, which I love. Um, hey. You know, I'm not sure if we ever went out for food on birthdays. I mean- I went out for- and I only bring this up because I think I, I think you might have been there. I'm not sure, but I went out for my 21st birthday to a diner, and I got a brownie sundae. I might, my- I may have been there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I'm talking about high school. Yeah, you, you know, I I don't remember going out, you know, for food uh, on birthdays. I remember giving gifts. Um, sure. I remember there was like a stint where. My friends, um, our group of friends just wrapped the shit out of gifts so that like you could not get into them. (laughs) (laughs) It it was an event in itself. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, um, I, I remember having parties or sleepovers. I mean, I definitely had parties because I'm a Leo and, you know, as a teenager, that's, you know. You full fledged Leo. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really feeling my social status with this episode. <laughs> right? It's got, like we're, you know, we're not very far in and it's already like, wow, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've been, uh, yeah. I'm in this movie and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> At Lawndale High, Jody and Mac are talking about what else? Colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac's family. Yeah. <laughs> Mac's family is going to have trouble affording Vance, the school that Mac wants to go to. He's likely going to be stuck at State University unless he can get a scholarship. Jody's putting in applications to Turner and Crestmore. Do you think they just had like a big whiteboard they put all these names on? Vance totally uh, sounds like it would be a- It's 100% a school. It's got to be, right? <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm thinking like Vanderbilt and- Totally. I don't know what, but Yeah. Yeah. So Jody wants to go to Turner, which is a historically black university, and her father's alma mater. He won't want her going there, though, so he doesn't yet know she's applied. Crestmore, meanwhile, is a top school, but Jody doesn't want to deal with former years of being the only black woman on campus. Mac understands, of course. Um, Kevin and Brittany roll by, and Brittany reveals she's applied to State University, while Kevin is keeping his destination a secret. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of giving away the game pretty early there, but it's, but it's also kind of funny how he just like plays it off entirely. Yeah, I I admit I didn't catch on right away, but the second time I was like, oh, oh, I, yeah. I see. <laughs> the second time is hilarious too. I'm a, we'll get to that momentarily. It's, it's very good. Yeah. Um. So I feel like uh we've seen the. You know, the high school loser uses transition to college as a way to reinvent themselves story, like time and time again in popular media. But we haven't as frequently seen the black student tired of being the only black student uses transition to college as a way to no longer be the only black student uh, story. I I really appreciate the consistency with Jody's character here. Like we've seen her grapple with her role at Lawndale from the very beginning of the series. And this is bringing it here, kind of coming around full circle, seeing, you know, what, what is she going to do with, with all that she has accrued over the past four years? Yeah, I, I agree. This is what a, a good observation. Um, but I, I, 
also have to add the the caveat that like maybe it's the media we consume, you know, true, maybe absolutely, we just haven't been exposed to it as much. Um, but I mean, I haven't seen that storyline much. Um, now we see it a little more often, like in uh, Dear White People, um, mm. which. I really enjoyed, you know, but that's all of 15 years later. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, I think this seems to be a very natural choice for Jody. We've seen the sort of pressure she's been under. It just it just makes sense to me that she would want this. Um, sure. Also, a little heartbreaking, you know, that it seems out of reach for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's and we'll we'll talk a little bit later about uh, a little bit more about Jody and her situation in here, but it's definitely like it's tough to watch some some aspects of uh, of her her whole subplot uh, because it it's you know you're right it's heartbreaking that she she is yet again struggling against this crap in Mister O'Neill's room. He's grading papers when Ms. Barch storms in and notes that it's the fifth anniversary of her divorce. You know, while we're talking about it. Uh, Mr. <laughs> O'Neill starts talking about the sacred bond of marriage or whatever, which is overheard by Mr. DiMartito, who happens to be walking by just outside the classroom. Somewhere in Mr. O'Neill's ramblings, Ms. Barch hears a proposal, and suddenly the two are engaged to be wed. Mr. DiMartino, still just outside, overhears all of this and appears ready to lose his shit. You know, you know something bad is going to happen when Barch walks in and it looks like she's going like it looks like a horror movie. Like she's going to yes. kill somebody. <laughs> she has like she has the arms out kind yes. of like she's got that like shit kicker walk, you know? <laughs> yeah. So put putting aside the the craziness of this whole situation. I feel like this is exactly how it would have to go down for Mr. O'Neill because I don't know if he ever sums up the guts to, to get engaged, <laughs> you know, the quote unquote proper way. I don't know if he ever actually proposes to anyone. I think he gets proposed on. <laughs> proposed on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that said, I'm like, I'm a little mixed on how this actually treats Ms. Barch. Like, mm. Have we ever gotten the impression before that things were serious enough between her and Mr. O'Neill to take this step or that she would even bother to take this step? Like, it so, kind of feels like it's happening just for the joke rather than being consistent with her character. Yeah, there's that, definitely. Um, I think that more recently, I, I've thought that they're a little more serious. I have absolutely no evidence to back that up. <laughs> but... Um, generally, I just think that Miss Barch is in a vulnerable place, you know, and, and that's her, true. her anger, um, the anger that her character clings to <laughs> is based on rejection. So <laughs> even though I want to say she's stronger than that, <laughs> it makes sense to me that she'd want to dive back into marriage again. You know, let's do this right this time. <laughs> Get me a man <laughs> and do it right. Um, but how she heard a marriage proposal in Mr. O'Neill's babbling is just beyond me. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It, it felt like quite a leap. Yes. <laughs> but hey, you know. Comic it's, effect. It's, yeah. And it's like the D plot at this point. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, at the Morgendorfer residence, the Sloans are picking Daria up for the trip to Bromwell and Boston's various colleges. Jake asks if Middleton's anywhere on this whirlwind college campus tour, and Daria suggests maybe another time. I'll just 
put in a small note here that I I do appreciate Daria's reluctance to disappoint her father by coming out and saying she doesn't want to go. Like she can see it means a lot to him and she really doesn't want to drop that bomb. Yeah, but also why can't she just say, Hey, we've been there, remember? Right. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Uh, and it was a memorable trip for a number of reasons. Yes. Uh, over at the restaurant, Quinn apparently got the job and is introduced to Lindy, the other hostess on duty. The two hit it off, though Lindy appears to have a few years on Quinn. On the drive to Bromwell, Tom's mother insists Tom shouldn't be rolling around in his year-old shoes while Tom dunks on his mother's very particular way of ordering tea. In the back seat sits Daria, her eyeballs rolling all the way into the back of her head. The group finally arrives at Bromwell. Back at the restaurant, it's the end of the night and tips are being counted up. When Quinn dispenses some relevant and hard-earned dating knowledge, it gets laughed off as a joke by Lindy and one of the servers. Quinn, still trying to fit in, plays along. It works, and Lindy suggests everybody drop by her place for a party she's holding on Saturday. So yeah, that class disparity we were talking about between Daria and Tom, that's going to be a thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it always has been a thing, but- it, now it's something we're apparently going to be confronting directly. Yeah. And the writers did a very good job of choosing just the sort of conversation that would make a middle-class person want to hurl. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. In an episode with a lot of punchable Sloan moments. <laughs> yes. That's, that's certainly up there. Mm -hmm. It's really tough to watch Quinn struggle to fit in. Aww. It's-, it's Yeah. Neat to see her out of her element, though. Yes, it is. It's time to grow. Oh, no. I know. Oh, dear. She can do it. I believe in her. That's true. She'll crush it. She always does. Uh, over at the Langdon residence, You Know What's Up by Donald Jones plays as Jody approaches her father to talk about college. She tells him she wants to go to Turner. She doesn't want to be the black kid. She just wants to be a kid. And she doesn't want to go to Crestmore and have people looking at her and assuming she only got in because she's black. She also points out her father wouldn't understand because he went to a black high school and then to Turner. Mr. Langner replies that Crestmore graduates are, quote, running this country, and the doors a Crestmore degree could open are innumerable. This conversation really brings some nuance to Jody's conflict. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, her father's expectations you know, are a result of the time he lived in, and he said that he went to Turner because he had to. Presumably, he didn't have the choice of going to university with white people. Um, universities right. yeah. started experiments in integration in the 60s, but it wasn't until the 70s that affirmative action really you know, became a thing. So, of course, he wants his daughter to have the opportunity that he didn't have. But wow, so much generational tension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it is so hard not to side with Jody here. Like, be, I mean, we're seeing this from her perspective. Um, and, and, you know, clearly we want her to get what she wants. Um, yeah. Like we see her plight, we sympathize, we agree that she deserves to go where she wants to go. That said, it's understandable where Mr. Langdon's coming from. Like he knows his daughter works her ass off. He knows society is going to make her life harder for every step, every step of the way, because she's a black woman. And he wants her to have all the advantages that he didn't have when he was growing up. So it's tough, you know. You, you can you can see each side of that, uh, and and it's a difficult conversation. 
We shall see how it unfolds. Yes. <laughs> uh, at the Lane residence, Jane's working on a sculpture for her Boston Fine Arts College portfolio. For some reason, I wrote out Boston Fine Arts College every single time. I just didn't just say BFAC. BFAC. Yeah, she Jane's working on a sculpture for her BFAC portfolio. BFAC, now I made it sound BFAC, like a BFAC. I made it sound like a vulgarity now. <laughs> Jane's working on a sculpture for her BFAC portfolio. Uh, Trent drops in and asks why she wants to go to an art college when she's already an artist. After all, what mystic, what would mystic spirals sound like if they were forced to practice? Jane avoids answering that question, but we see where this wrinkle is going to form. As if, as if Jane isn't feeling insecure and conflicted enough about applying to college, Trent has to do this. Oh boy. Yeah. Like this is an uncharacteristically dick move, isn't yeah. it? Like yep. your sister's trying to make it in the art world after spending her entire childhood creating art. Like why shit on this opportunity? I will note there is an answer for this, <laughs> but we're not getting it in the first half of the movie. No, no. We'll get to it <laughs> yeah, in a few well, weeks. <laughs> at Bromwell, it's time for Tom and Daria to have their interviews. Daria waits for Tom, whose interview lasts around 45 minutes and appears to go very well, aided no doubt by Tom having personal family anecdotes regarding various aspects of the campus and its history. Yes. Yeah. Daria, unimpressed by that display, gets called in next. The start of the interview is painful. Daria is deeply in her own head and spends most of the time debating and berating herself over what to say next and what she's already said. It's tough to watch her struggle so mightily with anything of substance, and eventually she just suggests maybe they start over and she'll focus on actually talking. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. There is... <laughs> It's that moment that you wish you could have in so many conversations where you you wish you could just like drop everything for a second and be like, all right, look, I've been in my own head for a lot of this. So if we start over and you pretend I'm not a dipshit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it makes me wish that I had seen this when I was younger so I could just have that line ready and know that, yeah, totally. hey, sometimes people actually say something like that. <laughs> yeah. And part part of the part of the internal uh, dialogue for Daria involved the the uh, lady interviewing her uses the word reap, and, <laughs> and Daria gets fixated on it. She's like reap, 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 reap. <laughs> Spectacular. Daria on her way into her interview. I forget what the I forget what the exact setup was, but I the the interviewer said like, oh, you know, Tom was Tom was so full of full of Brahma lore or something like yes. that. And yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, and Daria's response is, he seems to really be full of it. Uh, <laughs> it was and fantastic. then the secretary gives a look. Yes, the secretary. You just see her in the background, like it's not a focus or anything, but you just see her in the background, pick her head up, like whoop. <laughs> <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> it's it's such a great little detail. I never did – we talked about this. I never did college interviews, but it seems extraordinarily stressful. It's painful to watch Daria struggle with it. It's also completely understandable that she'd have trouble. Like On top of the normal stress of this process, we know that she's got a lot on her mind regarding Tom's relation to the place and her own thoughts on her elitist university settings. Yeah, and at this point, how often – does someone her age sit down with a complete stranger to talk about their qualifications? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's just a really 
awkward situation for anybody, but especially someone who really has no idea what the the protocol is for a situation like that, you know? Yes, absolutely. I didn't do college interviews like this, but I did initially want to go to school for theater. And, <laughs> and I did do a few auditions, which included interviews, if I remember correctly. Um, and it was terrifying. And I was ridiculously underprepared, especially for the interview part. And, and I definitely bombed them. <laughs> um, so, yes, it is, it is very stressful. Oh. Yeah. But also, um, anyway... You know that that was another that was another lifetime. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I had that experience. It's done. <laughs> but this entire time that that I'm watching this movie so far, I'm thinking, why is this Daria's first choice? Why is Bromwell her first choice? Like that is, it, is such a great question. Is it because it's an elite school? Is it because Tom is going? Uh, because this doesn't seem to be her style at all. And, and like, we get the idea that her mom thinks it's a good school, you know? Um, right. So, so there has apparently been conversation about that, but like, I don't know why she wants to go. That's a great question. And it's, and it's one that really doesn't get hand, at least not in the first half of this movie, it really doesn't get handled. There's really no explanation beyond, like it, it's it's her focus, you know. And was there a mention in a previous episode about her no, going no. to school at the same school as Tom? No, no, not really. No. Um, okay. And certainly no discussion that would like weigh heavily enough to say like, all right, yeah, that's going to be my first choice school. Then, um, yeah. You know, I, f I feel like some of you know we'll get to uh, the argument that Daria has with Helen in a little bit, but. I feel like some of it gets peddled off on on Helen, but I don't I don't think it's necessarily fair. It doesn't seem to be fair, mm -hmm. uh, and we certainly didn't get any sense of you know Helen wasn't putting a ton of pressure on Daria for Bromwell, at least not you know earlier on in the movie. Uh, it's it's just weird. You're right. It's not her style whatsoever. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense that she would want to go here. I mean, it seems to be an incredible school for remarkable students, and she is a remarkable student, so uh, it's it's understandable. But you know, it, it yeah, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like she would be happy there. Yeah, and Daria, you know, far be it from Daria to do something that would make her happy, but it's uh, it, it's you know, it just seems weird. Yes, I imagine her at like an all women's college. And yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't I'm seeing know. her at like a, a Bryn Mawr or, yeah. a, or like a, I'm trying to think of what, there's another, there's another one that begins with V. I'm trying to remember what it was called. But, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Anywho, uh, at Lawndale High, Quinn's telling Stacy and Tiffany about her work experience. Sandy rolls up and it's revealed she's come down with a gnarly case of laryngitis. Stacy reacts with horror, and suddenly we might know exactly what she wished for when she blew out her birthday candle. Bernard. Okay, <laughs> nice. Sorry. No, hey, that's good work. That would have bugged me. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My brain's working. <laughs> yeah. No, hey, better than mine, obviously. So <laughs> 
Sandy showing up to school with laryngitis is mm. yeah yeah laryngitis isn't like super contagious uh but you probably shouldn't be hanging around in school right after coming down with it yeah i (laughs) i the trauma and training of covid (laughs) immediately set off alarm bells in my head i'm like go home sandy oh my god (laughs) what are you you doing yeah and and i actually did have to look up is laryngitis contagious because i was like it's been forever since same yeah yeah so reading that it wasn't particularly contagious made me feel not that much better but (laughs) right like apparently it's it's a little bit more contagious at the beginning when you've still got like a fever and stuff like that but uh, apparently it's not it's not a whole lot to worry about but still also like just take the sick day like yeah it's you're in high school fucking take a sick day Watch the prices right. Yeah. <laughs> How it goes. Come on. I love that we know exactly where this is going for Stacy. Uh, yes. It's going to be a total train wreck, and I am oh, stoked. Yeah. <laughs> I am here for it. Yes. Uh, so in a cafe on the Bromwell campus, Stellar by Incubus. Oh my God, do you oh, remember wow. Incubus? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stellar plays as Daria talks to the Sloans about her interview. Apparently, it was only 15 minutes long, which Tom is aghast at and absolutely sucks at hiding his reaction. Daria is ready to move on to the Boston area and its campuses, but that's when Tom's mother spots a faculty member their family is friends with. He approaches and chats them up and suggests they meet for lunch the next day. Tom's mother notes they want to go to Boston to tour colleges, and he instead suggests a 7.30 breakfast in the faculty dining hall. Daria reluctantly agrees, not wanting to rock the boat, but we can see where this is going. After breakfast starts and ends late, Daria gets up from Daria goes from getting a full day in Boston to being lucky to get there by one in the afternoon, and then a traffic jam and stormy weather means things are looking far, far, far worse. And the guy that they have breakfast with is just a douche. Yeah, <laughs> like, total like, blowhard. He's <laughs> late to breakfast because his publisher just likes to chat. Yeah, <laughs> come on, yeah. dude. Him and his no respect for stupid, people's time, right? Him and his stupid T-shirt slung over his his neck with the ugh. yeah. Um, it's a fine line for a writer to walk with characters who mean well but royally screw the pooch with selfish or idiotic actions. Um, Eichler and Nickel are walking it with Tom and his mother, but the more you look at their handling of this situation, the more frustrating it gets. Oh yes, Tom doesn't need that faculty member's help to get into Bromwell. Daria is clearly uneasy about giving up her time in Boston, and Tom needs to see that. Mrs. Sloan needs to realize there are other people in the world. They're not being like intentionally malicious, but they're being downright neglectful of Daria's plans, and that almost feels worse. Yeah, but you knew that this was coming. Like, How of could course. it not? The trip isn't about Daria. It's about Bromwell. I mean, I was hoping that you know there was a mention that this guy was a literature professor. I was hoping that maybe he and Daria would connect over that. But sure. no. Nothing. <laughs> no no acknowledgement of Daria's interests at all. <laughs> yeah. It, it so shitty. sucks. So shitty. Uh, uh. I've, there's a whole thing about Tom that I'm, I'm going to get to in a little bit because there's there's a somehow even more dickish moment for him coming up. So, 
Over in Sandy's bedroom, Sandy, Stacy, and Tiffany are doing their best to hold a fashion club meeting with Quinn busy and Sandy voiceless. Turns out Quinn's going to be too busy with her work for a while, so she's taking a sabbatical from her vice presidential duties. Why does Sandy not just quarantine already? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, look, (laughs) when you're a teenager, you're invincible. (laughs) That's just how it goes. This is a really fun little scene, though. Like, Stacy's Sandy impersonation is really good. Uh, I don't think we've actually named them on the show yet. Maybe we have with Sandy, but um, so that's Sarah Drew as Stacy uh, impersonating the work of Janie Mertz, who plays uh, Sandy, and it's funny as hell. Oh, I yeah. love it. Also, Stacy and Tiffany not being able to pronounce sabbatical is just <laughs> beautiful. And Tiffany doesn't even get a full syllable in before Sandy just stops her. <laughs> Let's be fair with Tiffany, a full syllable can be <laughs> can be an arduous thing to sit through. It's a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got a whole lot of time to to think about that before it comes to an end. That said, since we know this is a series finale, do you get the sense, like, do you get the feeling that this is the beginning of the end for the fashion club? Oh yeah. Like if it were any other episode, we'd figure, of course, Quinn's sabbatical gets dropped and and you know she ends up right back in the fold. But this being a series finale, yeah, yeah, um, does not bode well, right? And no. Quinn is out in the world learning that there's more to life than midriff bearing tops and the rules of dating. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, both, both she and Daria are going through their own growing pains, you know, and I, I like that parallel. Um, sure. I feel like Quinn is watching Daria and, and doing her own test run of being somewhat independent. It's kind of cool to watch. Yeah, it is neat. There's a, there's some interesting Quinn work in this, in this episode. Yeah. Um, Quinn work. Yeah, Quinn work, you know. Work it. (laughs) Uh, You said that, not me. Uh, (laughs) uh, Up at Raft, Daria, Tom, and Mrs. Sloan have arrived at campus at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon in the middle of a torrential downpour. Uh, With campus deserted and the admissions office closed the next day, Mrs. Sloan's solution is to just drive Daria through the campus so she can get a sense of the place. The rainy campus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Daria is clearly pissed off and maybe thinking back to Helen's request that she not physically assault anyone. Uh, she stares out the window as we hear young, fresh, and new by Khalees. Look, I I don't <laughs> think Mrs. Sloan is bullshitting when she says she's sorry they got to campus so late. And it does sound like they had the drive from hell to get there. And that happens. Sure. This is still extreme, extraordinarily frustrating to watch. And Tom's good thing we didn't get to Bromwell this late is icing on the cake. Oh, God. That is, to this point in the series, maybe the most punchable line from a person who has at times been extremely punchable. Yes. All of this is just incredibly disrespectful. I want to punch both of them. You know, (laughs) the fact that- the fact that he doesn't give his mom a hard time at all about this situation, like, you know, in defense of Daria, is just so right. unacceptable. And I know that Mrs. Sloan made this empty offer to stay an extra day, but it was empty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and can Helen please come in and just punch this terrible mom? <laughs> Shows up in the car. Yeah. 
poof, punch. <laughs> Boom. Gone. <laughs> At what appears to be an Ethiopian restaurant, Mr. O'Neill's trying to break the news to Ms. Barch that he has no interest in getting married this quickly. She's not having any of it. And surprise, she's steamrolling him. Now I want Ethiopian food. Hell yeah, me too. <sighs> Uh, back at the Morgendorfer residence, Daria arrives home and explains her frustration to Helen. Sure, Bromwell is an incredible school, but it's elitist as hell, and that rubs Daria the wrong way. And it sucks that she didn't get to see any of the colleges she very clearly wanted to see. Helen's trying to look on the bright side, but Daria takes it as Helen being just as concerned for Daria's interests as the Sloanes were, and that goes pretty much how you'd expect. Jake sweeping in with a Middleton brochure is kind of the last straw, and Daria retreats to her room, demanding to be left alone. I think the the line Daria uses, um, the the smog of smugness or fog of <laughs> smugness, something like that. It's just it was so good, <laughs> so <Yes>. visceral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. We we've seen this beat from Helen and Daria time and time again. Like Helen tries to highlight the bright side, and Daria takes it as Helen crapping on Daria's viewpoint entirely. It's easy to write it off as Daria being a teenager and a generally stubborn slash complicated person, but sometimes when everything's gone really shitty and you're telling someone else about it, you don't want to hear about the bright side. You just want someone to say, you know what? You're right. That sucks. Yep. I think this was one of those times. Yeah. Yeah. I think Helen really kind of dropped the ball in this one. I I wanted her mama bear claws to come out, you know? <laughs> um, but she's just happy that she didn't have to take the road trip and miss work, you know? She's, I, I mean, maybe maybe that's being a little too harsh, but I, I think that, that like being very optimistic about everything at this point is just, it's not what is needed at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you need to be able to read the room and be like, no, you know what? That is shitty. That really sucks that they did that. It sucks that you didn't get to see that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of not being able to read the room, <laughs> <laughs> Jake's misunderstanding of Daria's search for college thus far, which I mean, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we haven't made it explicit. If Daria doesn't go to Middleton, she's going to military school. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, oh no, better push Middleton. It's it's just, it's adorable and it's heartbreaking and I love the absurdity of it. Yeah, yeah. He he cares. He really does care. And he wants, you know, similar to Mr. Langdon wanting better for Jody, he wants better for Daria. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's. It's a very Jake way of of it's a very Jakeified situation. Yes, uh, compared to Mister Langdon, you know you you applaud you applaud that he wants better for his daughter. Yes, that's, that's all you can do. It's Jake. Pat him on the head. Yeah, send him to bed. <laughs> Over at Lindy's party, we hear "Get this party started" by Pink as Quinn arrives and is immediately having trouble fitting in. She paves over it pretty well because she's Quinn and she's a boss, but Nissa was right. It looks like this one's going to be about Quinn needing to grow up a little. Yep. Uh, and look, maybe it's just that I am probably twice Quinn's age at this point, 
But the idea of a high school girl being at a party like this one is setting off so many alarms in my head. Oh, yeah. But but I'm pretty sure Quinn could handle herself if someone got sleazy. I just I, – but at the same time, I'm not worried about her. Like, she, if you look at her and then you look at everyone else in the room, you know she is not their type. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So, but yeah, yeah, definitely um, getting a little protective in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to. Yeah. Uh, over at Jane's, she's working on pieces for her portfolio, but has been staring at them for too long and needs to get away for a bit. She walks into the living room where she spots letters from both of the colleges he applied to and realizes she's been rejected from them both. She decides if she couldn't get into either of those schools, then there's probably no point in applying to BFAC. And along with some prodding from Trent, who insists if these people could create art, they wouldn't be teaching it, makes the decision right then and there that she won't be going to college. Man. Wow. So there are tons <laughs> of canvases in Jane's room. She's been working her ass off. But I yeah. have to agree with what she says that this is not her best stuff. <laughs> Take that for the zero that it's worth since I am, you know, even less qualified to make judgments on Jane's art than I am to make judgments on this TV series. <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> she needs a break. Yeah, definitely. I... Ugh. I very much understand the sentiment of why would I apply to the better college if the two worst colleges rejected me, but like, you live with Trent. What about <laughs> his life experience over the past few years have you seen that makes you think that's the way forward? Yeah. Like I mean, that said, you know, oops, sorry, go ahead. She's she's not Trent though, you know. So true. Like she is an extremely gifted artist already. Uh, and, and, you know, we've said that time and time again, uh, we've also said time and time again, not everybody needs to go to college. Yes. Like if Jane were to take the Trent approach, it's fair to say she'd probably be far more successful at it than Trent has been. Oh boy. Yeah. Jane's line about unlearning the things that she was taught in college, um, you know, in order to develop her own style is interesting. Mm. I feel like the techniques, the hard skills of going to art school is what you're there for. Um, yeah. But it's the bullshit mentality attached to art academia that you have to unlearn <laughs> if you yes. ever feel like you're going to be like a whole and worthwhile human being ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like she would be fine with that. Like we yeah. saw that in the last movie, right? Yeah. We, you know, we saw how she responds to to that, you know, that stuffy art, uh, that, you know, that stuffy art vibe. She she counters it pretty well. Yeah, yeah, she's she's strong. Um, yes, but I, what I'm saying is that, like, I understand where she's coming from, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, the argument is just a little off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, back at Lindy's party, Quinn's learning on the fly that this crowd she's embedded herself with just doesn't have anywhere near the same values as the one she's known at Lawndale High. Uh, in the effort to avoid more awkward conversations, she spots a mirror she thinks is really pretty. Turns out Lindy made it herself, and she'd be more than happy to make one for Quinn as well. 
Over in Mr. O'Neill's classroom, he's writing on the chalkboard when a suspicious note is slipped under his door. It requests his presence at a local bar that evening. The game is afoot. <laughs> and elsewhere in Lawndale High, Quinn's struggling with her bangs when Stacy approaches and explains her birthday wish. Her birthday wish is the reason Sandy lost her voice. Quinn suggests the answer is for Stacy to lift the curse, but she's going to have to find someone else to do it because Quinn, in her words, is no quote hoodoo expert. <laughs> Oh, wow. So many things in these very short scenes to talk yes, about. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Lindy's mirror does look pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really funny that when Quinn says um, that she likes the mirror, that it's really pretty, and Lindy says, I made it, she says, you make glass? yeah. Like she thought she made the mirror itself. <laughs> she was saying that the mirror itself is really pretty. <laughs> I, you know what? I can, I can absolutely. I would one hundred percent be on Quinn's end of that conversation. <laughs> My immediate response would be like, "Oh wow, you can make a mirror? <laughs> How do you even do that? Yeah, where's your smelter kiln? I don't. How do you even do it?" I have no idea. Really, like, get a blowtorch and no, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> get a blowtorch and just figure it out. It'll. I mean, that's like just what you do in life, right? Naturally. Especially if you're Lindy. <laughs> it's my solution for things. <laughs> of course, this is how Mr. DiMartino sends letters. Yes. Uh, it's like, it is for, for the sake of, of the listeners, it is. Uh, it looks like a ransom note. It is uh, just a letter with a bunch of like clipped out magazine letters uh, spelling out, you know, where he wants to meet Mr. O'Neill. Apropos of nothing, but remember the time he answered the door holding a raw chicken? You know, I actually think about it quite often. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things that stick in your brain. <laughs> yeah. And he was like waving it as he talked. This, yeah. Uh, in the in the apron and yeah. <laughs> um also the bar is called the liquid dinner. Ew. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> oh man. What um, else? What else? So this conversation between Quinn and uh Quinn and Stacy about yes. the curse. Yes. I, yes. I love that Quinn has heard of the movie Thinner, but she doesn't quite grasp why being cursed to constantly lose weight is a bad thing. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you identified the movie because I did not know the movie Thinner at all. No yep, clue. It was a, uh, so it was originally a Stephen King story that he published as his pseudonym Richard Bachman. Oh. Yeah. It was, uh, I think the, what is it? I think the, I think the protagonist hits a Romani lady's daughter with her with his car or something like that and so she curses him to constantly lose weight and then it's that it's that's the plot basically all right um, there's i'm positive there's more to it but it's been a very long time so speaking of curses <laughs> yes yes so i was stoked to get to this yeah so okay so that moment when stacy and quinn were like I don't know how to break a curse. This, this is when like I raise my hand with like so much gusto. I'm like, ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just 
just like <laughs> falling out of my chair. Like, <laughs> I can help. <laughs> but like, come on, it's so easy. <laughs> Stacy knows what the curse is. She is the one that cursed her. She can undo it. <laughs> okay, how do okay. All right. How how does how do you undo a birthday candle curse? Oh, I mean like, I don't know if you know <laughs> I mean, like, I, there's what I'm saying is that, like, as far as I know, there's not like a set counter curse for a birthday candle curse. But what I would assume is that, it was like, the mechanics of cursing are that, like, if you if you know who has cursed you and what the curse is, that makes it much easier to counter it, right? Okay. Um, but the problem is now, of course, is that like there are so many different kinds of curses. You know, it's not just like your regional like Bible curse or whatever. <laughs> so like, so you don't you don't know. <laughs> but like Stacy knows what the curse is. So for a candle, a birthday candle curse, I don't know. I mean, I would. <sighs> <laughs> I would probably use water <laughs> somehow, you know. I would like get the can I would see if I could get the candle that I blew it out that I blew oh out, God. you know, and throw it in the water. <laughs> Fantastic. Let, let a stream take it away or something. <laughs> I love the Nissali, I love the idea of Nissali approaching curses like a mechanic. <laughs> oh yeah, that's your standard. That's your standard birthday candle curse. Now I, I can't tell you exactly how to undo it because you know these birthday candle curses—they're all different because everybody got different different wants and needs for their birthdays. But you know, I gotta figure you would take like the candle and you would like put in a stream or something. Let the water take it away. Yeah. It's gotta be. It's gotta be something like that. It's always something like that with these Elemental. curses. Elemental. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> my my, uh, my solution to most things is put it in a bottle and let the water take it away. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, I'm, oh, no, I don't Christ. usually do that. <laughs> it's, it's very good, though. But it is a very, like, folk magic approach to things. <laughs> One hundred percent, yeah. Just let, let the elements figure it out. They're they're smarter than we are. Well, I mean, birthday candles is like the most folk magic you can get, right? That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. Everybody <laughs> practices it. Oh Christ! <laughs> oh, there's your problem. That's a you got one of them birthday candle curses. Oh boy. <laughs> I hope you kept. I hope you kept the receipt. Elsewhere, elsewhere in Lawndale High. I Can you do. imagine? I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you imagine them like going through the dumpster trying to find this candle? <laughs> uh, oh, jeez, no, I can't. But I mean, that's the. That's what makes it so so devious, right? Is the, you know, it, it's the fleeting nature of our material goods. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe this is what she could do if she had a, still had a piece of the cake. <laughs> oh my could, god! This is this would be a fun one. She could give that piece of cake to Sandy. Could <laughs> and, uneat the cake. <laughs> no, not eat the cake. She would make 
she would just like smush it <laughs> in, in Stacy's face. Be like, this is how you break the curse. Smush, <laughs> smush it in my face. I think you're just making shit up. <laughs> I totally am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what you got to do there is you got to take a piece of that birthday cake and slam it in the face. It's not going to do anything for the curse, but you know it'll make it'll you make feel her better. feel better. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much what it's about, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Moving on. <laughs> elsewhere, elsewhere in Lawndale High, I do by Toya plays as Brittany and the rest of the cheerleaders are talking about how they got into Great Prairie State University. Kevin drops by and Brittany shares the good news and asks him where he's going. He says, quote, practice and runs off. <laughs> Brittany's fine with this answer until the other cheerleaders point out to her that what she meant is what college is he going to? And also football season's over. Uh, elsewhere, elsewhere, elsewhere at Lawndale High, uh, Jody's hanging posters again, uh, hanging posters again to I do uh, when Mac walks over and reveals he got the scholarship he wanted and he's going to Vance. Jody's thrilled for him, but clearly something's wrong. Mac asks, and Jody reveals through tears that she got into Crestmore. She also got into Turner, but Crestmore accepting her means her father's going to force her to go there. She's trying to convince herself that Crestmore's the place for her, but it very clearly isn't. Mac tries to point that out, but she doesn't want to talk about it anymore, and she walks away. Mm. Her breaking down in response to Mac's news is just... It's just so heartbreaking for both of them. Poor yeah. Mac. He's just trying to share a happy moment, but you know, his lady is going through something. <laughs> he can't really enjoy it. Aww. Yeah, it, it's real tough to watch. Like, in a movie with a lot of tough to watch character moments so far, Jody trying desperately to convince herself that Crestmore is okay is maybe one of the toughest. Yeah. After um, all her hard work. Totally. Uh, I'm glad that Eichler and Nickel are, are taking the time to explore this a bit because the conflict between Jody and her father's expectations has always just kind of bubbled under the surface. Yeah. Um, I have to imagine that if there were a season six of Daria instead of an hour long series finale, this subplot would be a significant chunk of, of an episode. <laughs> or an entire episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the walk back home from school, Jane reveals to Daria that she's been rejected from two colleges and won't be bothering to apply to BFAC. Daria pushes back, suggesting it's crazy to not even try. Jane points out there are plenty of very successful people without degrees or even diplomas, and Daria agrees, but also suggests maybe Jane should look past her disappointment of not getting into two colleges she didn't even want to go to before making a decision as big as not going to college at all. Jane thinks Daria's response is predictable, and as they get to the Morgendorfer residence, they part ways on some pretty icy terms. On Daria's doorstep sits a bunch of envelopes, some small, some large. <sighs> so Jane says that Daria needs to get past her Sloan-esque snobbery. <laughs> yes. Oh, ouch. That's got to hurt. That's got to- Oh, yeah. Right in the feels right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean- at the same time, Daria has been fighting against that current, but it it, it has swept her away. You know? A little bit. She's, uh, Jane is not wrong. <laughs> no, I think so. I think Jane and Daria are both a little right here. Like Jane is very much right about as we've covered. Not everybody needs to go to college. Yes, and, and it's nice that this conversation acknowledges that. Like it's nice that that is said in a show about a teenager geared toward teenagers. Like it's great that the topic of, Hey, you know what? Not everyone needs to go to college. I'm glad that comes up. 
it's good Jane asserts it. It's good Daria agrees with her. That said, I also think Daria is kind of right about Jane not necessarily being in the right, you know, headspace to make a call that large because the decision not to go to college is also a pretty big one because you you kind of need to you need to have some idea of of what you're going to be doing. Yeah. Um, and and Daria's right in suggesting it shouldn't be made while sitting in the shadow of of rejection-based disappointment. You know, I think that if they really wanted to to drive home that point that not everybody needs to go to college, then what they would have included in the episode is a good example of a character who has not gone to college and thrived. But we don't have that, you know? We really don't. I mean, we have, we have Trent, but he has not thrived. No. Uh, he has he has survived kind of. <laughs> so like what we really do get is, you know, a a bit of talk, but you know, <laughs> nothing in practice. <laughs> yeah, I would almost love to see, and then, you know, maybe this is just this is just asking a lot. And who knows? Maybe it was actually like in the episode and cut for time or something like that. But I would love to see Jane getting on the phone with one of the folks she met at the art camp from the last movie. Oh, what a good idea! Because these are, I mean, those were all older kids, right? And they were, you know, either college age or just about to go to college. So surely there's got to be someone in there who didn't go to college, right? Uh, yeah. And and to just hear from them to be like, no, you know, I ended up uh, I ended up at a gallery or I ended up you know doing commissions or something like that. I don't what know. a good idea. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> in the living room, Daria looks at the mail. She got a big envelope from Raft, which is always a good sign. And yeah, she got in. The next envelope, however, is considerably smaller, and it's from Bromwell. Turns out she didn't get rejected outright, but she is on the waiting list. Helen walks in and Daria gives her the news. She's excited for Daria getting into Raft, but clearly a little disappointed that Daria got waitlisted at Bromwell. Daria bristles at that response, and Helen defends herself. After all, she's happy for Daria getting into Raft, and while there's no denying that Bromwell's an excellent school, Raft's an excellent school too. Daria shoots back that it's just not the excellent school, and walks away from the conversation. Those small envelopes... Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think watching all these small envelopes has triggered some trauma that I didn't know I had. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you get rejected from any of, your, from any of the colleges you applied to? I forget um, if we've talked about this before. I mean, I, I did get rejected um, from a few colleges, I, both for undergrad and for – well, not for grad school, but I did get waitlisted at one mm-hmm. place. But, um, but yeah, um, but like everybody worries about the <laughs> about the small envelopes. You oh know? yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a it's a trope at this point. You know, it's the oh boy, it's a small envelope. Fuck, yeah. you know. Um, like I I applied to. I applied to rowing, like I did a proper application to rowing, and I did like a half-ass application to Rutgers Livingston, and I got waitlisted at Rutgers Livingston. Obviously, I got into rowing. In retrospect, holy shit, I only applied to two colleges, and one of them I half-assed. That was yeah. not a great idea. <laughs> um, so I, I got I got kind of lucky, but I do I remember the excitement of seeing the large envelope because I you know I knew at the time like oh great it's a large envelope awesome yeah it, you're right there there is like 
it's 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 hard to shake that little it, like your gut drops just a little bit at the mm-hmm. concept of seeing the small envelope. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on from envelopes. Uh, <laughs> see what you got to do is you got to take the envelope that you got the letter. Um, <laughs> Burn it. <laughs> <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Curse done. No problem. Bromwell's Bra- never gonna poop normal again. Um, <laughs> Uh, awesome. So this is not an easy conversation for Helen to navigate, but I think she actually does a pretty good job. Like this is just really tough because Daria is understandably pretty upset and there isn't much you're going to tell her right now to pull her out of that. But her excitement for Daria getting into Raft looks genuine. And when I compare that to like Jody's experience with her father during this whole college admissions process, it makes me think back to our last episode. It makes me think back to boxing Daria and how lucky Daria is to have the parents she has. Yeah. And that isn't to say that uh, Jody's father isn't a good parent, you know. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. But yeah, uh, Daria is quite lucky. Um, I'm glad that Helen has somewhat redeemed herself here. The, yes. the bit about being condescending, that was sharp. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, you know, Daria says, don't be condescending. And, and Helen shoots right back. Don't be, don't be condescending to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh um, man. It's very good. You know, I, I look, there are, all right. There are characters in this series that I would love to just watch a, like a bottle episode of 20 minutes of them talking to one another. Helen and Daria is very high up there. Mm. Yeah. Um, Jane and Quinn also very high up there for different reasons. <laughs> very different conversation. <laughs> uh, at the bar that evening, Mr. O'Neill is meeting with Mr. DiMartino, who's trying to talk him out of marrying Ms. Barch. The two sit down with some Mai Tais and get emotional. <laughs> oh. And then the bartender. The bartender s- like, <laughs> sniffs the drink and takes a sip of it after the after he sees two grown men just like bawling their eyes out. Yeah. It's like, I want some of that. (laughs) I'll have what they're having. I want to point out uh, Mr. DiMartino's line, I'm talking about your espousal to the she-devil that walks among us. Fantastic. (laughs) I feel a little bad for not dedicating more space and time to this subplot, but like, I just can't bring myself to really talk about it all that much. It just—it feels like it's there to give the more prominent teacher characters in Londale High something to do for the series finale. It's it's there for laughs. Right? Yeah. And it's funny, um, but I'm also having a hard time figuring out how it connects to all of it, you know, to the main plot. True, yeah. Um, because, you know, I like thematic significance. Oh, yes. Um, maybe it's something to do with curses. <laughs> maybe uh, it's something about change and moving on or growing up i mean mr darmy uh, mr d martino you know is trying to save mr o'neill from making a terrible mistake and daria is trying to save jane from making a terrible mistake um <sighs> is is not going to college like marrying miss barge <laughs> precisely like marrying miss barge <laughs> i really dug myself into a hole and and, and I, I'm not sure how to get out of this one. <laughs> I like the idea of using marrying Ms. Barch as a, <laughs> as like another way to say making a terrible mistake. 
<laughs> oh, poor oh, Miss Barge. I really married Miss Barch on that one. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, that's not great. Or, or it's like, um, you know, those uh, those scared straight <laughs> things where oh, it's yeah. like, where it's, you know, they put the car outside, the, the crashed car outside of your high school before prom to keep you from, <laughs> from driving drunk. <laughs> Go to college or you'll end up like this guy who's married Miss Barch. <laughs> he just put Miss Barch out on the front lawn in a wedding dress. To talk shit on people as they go by. <laughs> oh, my God. Back at the Morgendorfer residence, Wasting My Time by default plays as Tom calls Daria. She reveals she got waitlisted at Bromwell, and Tom does absolutely nothing to hide his shock and lack of confidence in her chances. Yeah. Uh, when Daria says she also got into Raft, he basically shrugs it off. He then reveals that he got into Bromwell, which is kind of the whole reason he called. Daria suggests that Sloan getting into Bromwell is one of the least surprising things imaginable, and Tom gets defensive. He also points out that it's not his fault that Daria bombed her interview. Daria retorts that not everybody gets to drop family anecdotes in their college interviews, and that she got into Raft without one. When Tom appears to suggest that, he, that she only got into Raft because they didn't meet her, Daria's done. She hangs up on him. Wow. So much wow. <laughs> Tom, your privilege is showing, man. Yeah, fuck me, man. Tom, Tom is being an enormous prick this episode, and it is impossible to defend. Like, I, I understand him getting a little defensive over the notion that getting into Bromwell was a given because it basically diminishes any work he put in up to right. this point. And that's not necessarily fair to do when we have every reason to believe he's as good a student as Daria. But downplaying his family connections as he did is is demonstrating, like you said, it's a, it's just this total ignorance of his own privilege. Yeah, I mean, he's just being so fucking insensitive and mean. Yes, and I know that Daria was um, she was the one that made the leap and said that she that he was implying that she got into Raph because they didn't meet her, but. My God, <laughs> what an asshole. He really deserved her wrath. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is It is such a trash, <laughs> such a trash response from uh, from him. And I, okay, so I, I brought this up on Twitter last night because I, I knew we were recording tonight, but I just, I needed to get it out. I, this movie does Tom dirty. And what I mean by that <laughs> is- it absolutely sucks that this is the way he's acting in the final episode. He has had plenty of shithead moments without a doubt, but there have also been a lot of really good character moments from him. There have been a lot of really neat things that he's brought out of characters around him. Like yeah. we got to see a side of Jane that we never would have gotten to see. We definitely got to see a side of Dario we never would have gotten to see. We've seen a lot of good conversations between them. And he's very insightful about relationship dynamics and how people are behaving, you know, and how to resolve those things. But it's just all thrown out the window here. Totally, totally. This is such a it's such a hard pivot to being an asshole. And it's kind of a bummer that this is, you know, I mean, look, second half of the movie, things do 
things do turn around a little bit for him, if I remember correctly. But it, it's still it's such a bummer that this is you know the goodbye for Tom. Yeah, you know, yeah. Know. I mean, it, it seems like he goes from being a a character in his own right, you know, complex and whatever, to right. to being a tool of the plot, you know. Yes. Um, and representative of larger issues. <laughs> absolutely. And and when you compare like compare this behavior to the Tom that was driving like an absolute rust bucket because he wanted to kind of like isolate himself from his family's wealth. Uh, yes. You know, in in attitude, not necessarily in benefits. Like he still lived at the palatial estate and all that. But you know, you, you compare those two versions of this character, and it's it's not the same guy. And, yeah, and that's a that's a bummer. Yeah, uh, I mean, there... if we could get some kind of discomfort from him, uh, like accepting, you know, the the offer to go to Bromwell, um, sure. You know, as you know, like being complacent <laughs> right um and complicit you know in that system then then it would feel better to me you know totally but and like isn't it, isn't it um, wouldn't it be a more interesting wouldn't it be a more interesting look at his character and at, at his and daria's dynamic and at all the the class stuff we've talked about if like all right same thing same thing applies he's still getting into bromwell basically it's a lock but they go on the tour with Daria, and it's clear that this is not her place, right? It's clear that she, you know, first of all, like we've said already, like, why would she even want to go to Bromwell in the first place? Like, it's not her scene. It's clear that she's not comfortable there. It's clear that she's kind of moving in a different direction. And he sees that and he senses that because we've seen that he can sense these things. Yeah. Um, and that's and, why they part ways. <laughs> right. Or, or or at least it's like, you know, it gets brought up, you know, it, it creates a conversation like, hey, you know, is your heart really in this, like in this college? Because this is a big decision to make. And, and you know, yeah. I don't know. There's so many other Look better ways you. for it to have gone. Look at you with the alternate plot lines. I'm loving it. <laughs> You're really pulling them out this time. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm tired, so I'm babbling, and it just happens to. It's work working. Out. It's working. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> uh, alrighty. At the movie theater, Quinn and Lindy are sitting down to a movie. Uh, they share some small talk before Lindy pulls out a flask and tops off her concession stand soda. Fade by Stained playing in the background alongside. Stained. Wow. <laughs> yeah, remember them. Forgot Jesus. about them. <laughs> uh, Fade by Stained playing in the background alongside Quinn's look of concern tells us this is probably going to be a thing. Uh, oh I think this is an yeah. I think this is an interesting direction for this to go. Like Quinn's been around drinking before, plenty. You know, we'll we'll point to College Board where she became Quake. Uh, keg queen, Quag Quag queen. <laughs> where she became keg queen and she's obviously been to tons of parties so she's been around boozing no question so her observation that this is a problem and that's very much the impression that we get like immediately oh yeah it's something we trust when she gets concerned we get concerned yeah and and the flask in the breast pocket of her jean jacket is not a good <laughs> sign i mean do jean jackets even have breast pockets <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even begin to tell you. 
<laughs> I don't I don't know, but yeah, not a good sign. They they did well in choosing <laughs> the mode of transportation. <laughs> Cuz it could be like, you know, what we did at college part before college party is it's just like stick booze in a water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> no, she has a flask. No, she, she has a flask. She's, dedicated. she's a professional. Yeah. <laughs> uh, up in Daria's room, Helen walks in to finish the chat from earlier. Daria tells her Tom got into Bromwell, and Helen's reaction is very similar to Daria's. Daria apologizes for snapping at her earlier, but notes that Helen told her from the very start about how huge getting into Bromwell would be. And if Daria couldn't get into the first school she wanted, what's she supposed to think about her prospects? Helen points out she applied for colleges in the middle of the baby boom. and competition was so fierce, she got rejected from her first and second choices, ultimately settling on Middleton, which, in her words, isn't half the school Raft is. Daria's surprised to hear this, and when Helen expresses how proud she is for Daria, for Daria getting in, it seems as though all is well again. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm actually like condensing this conversation pretty significantly. It was a really great little talk. I would just play the whole thing if it weren't as long as it is. Yeah, it's uh, incredibly significant, I think. Yeah, it, it's very good and it's very down to earth. It's another one of those really great Helen and Daria talks. We are reminded once again that Helen is a very, very good parent when she needs to be. You know, and and I'm glad we get a moment like this in the series finale. It feels right. And she's totally right. Some colleges will open more doors for you than others without a doubt, but what you do with your education matters a ton. Daria's going to be fine wherever she goes because she's Daria, and it's good that Helen's there to remind her of that. Absolutely. Uh, it's also nice to confirm once again that Helen's very much in Daria's corner with regard to Middleton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, this this conversation was very much needed. Um, it seems like a lot of the stress was coming from Daria's perception of her mom's expectations and and her opinions of these schools. Um, and, yes. and like it strikes me as a little weird um, that if if, that if Helen is not invested, you know, emotionally in these schools, <laughs> that that she would like, <laughs> you know, pressure or overpraise them or something like that. You know, like it seems like being neutral and just letting Daria take the lead would be the right approach here. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess she just got yeah. a little too excited. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I mean, from the. From what we understand about Bromwell, you know, your kid comes home and says, "Hey, I got into Harvard." Tough not to be excited. Yeah, right? yeah. you know. So, so you get it. Excited and also extremely worried yeah. <laughs> because oh, how fuck. the hell am I going to pay for that? Absolutely, that's the conversation you have with yourself the moment they leave the room. You're yeah. just like, "Oh Jesus Christ!" <laughs> oh, why couldn't I raise a dipshit? Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I love Daria's line at the end of this conversation where she says, I suppose I can stop worrying about getting into college and start worrying about this disgusting elitism that I've managed to develop in the process. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, oh, wow. <laughs> and, then, and then Helen responds by, good, that will keep you from worrying about what kind of weirdo you get for a college roommate. <laughs> and Daria goes, Mm. Mm. Like, like, <laughs> like she understands, but also she does not know yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, I'm glad that Daria has admitted that 
that she's been swept away by the privilege. And, um, you know, it's a great way for this plot line and Jane's plot line to come together. So yeah. someone may have a little bit of apologizing to do. Yeah. Reconciliation, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have to find out about it uh, next time because we are getting down to our last scene here. here. Uh-huh. Uh, coming out of the movie theater, Lindy is sounding a little buzzed. Looking uh, still, a little buzzed, too. Yeah, she's like stumbling a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, still, she wants to go to a club or hang out in the park with some wine, and Quinn is concerned. She suggests maybe Lindy shouldn't have any more to drink and definitely shouldn't be driving, but Lindy's not having it. When Quinn tries to secure a ride home for both of them via Upchuck, who just kind of wandered by, Lindy insists on driving off to hit up a few more clubs before calling it a night. Her plans to get Lindy home safely having been foiled, Quinn rejects Upchuck's offer for a ride home and calls a cab. (laughs) And that is going to be the final scene that we cover in this episode. I will say... Good on Quinn for trying to do the right thing several times over. Uh, yeah. And it's a kind of a neat flipping of the script. Like a whole lot of the episode to this point has involved her being a little behind the crowd in terms of maturity. But when it comes to something this important, which is to say trying to keep someone from drinking to excess and getting behind the wheel, she's absolutely the more mature one. Absolutely. Uh, go, Quinn, go. <laughs> Seriously, it's so good. That's it. It's pretty fucking funny that Lindy's response to Upchuck as a person is to just laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, like Lindy is an absolute mess. Like I've I've had my fair share of not so <laughs> proud drunk moments, but I have never gotten drunk at a movie theater. Um, at least I have that yeah. going for me, you know. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it out there again. I feel like I threw it out there either last last episode or the episode before. For the love of God, don't get behind the wheel if you've been drinking. Yeah. Holy shit. Common um, sense. Yeah. All right. So like I said, that is the last scene that we're going to cover in this episode. We are obviously going to pick back up right from that spot uh, in our next episode. Uh, we are, of course, going to be skipping the episode rankings. Yeah. Uh, because we can't, for now. you know, rank half yeah. an episode. Totally. Cannot rank movie. half an episode. Uh, so we will be giving this, we'll be doing our final episode ranking next week. Oh my God. Or two weeks from now. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So crazy. I know. Uh, but anyway, uh, before we put this one to bed, and I think we're coming up, yeah, we're coming up on two hours for, for this recording. Um, my, my. Before we put this one to bed, we have some fan stuff. Fan stuff. Yeah, I'm going to hit the interstitial music and we'll go from there. Okay, so Leo Vigoda wrote to us at the end of May. (laughs) 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 I have absolutely no idea how this one got by me, but he wrote in. Oh, he says, hi. <laughs> I want to drop you a quick note. I, I'm like really tempted to read this in like a tough Italian guy accent because like hey. Leo Vigoda, wow, that's a name. 
I love it. <laughs> I wanted to drop you a quick note to let you know I just discovered the podcast. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> exactly like that. You're much better at it than I am. I am um, not doing that for an entire letter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he says that he discovered, yeah, he said, I discovered the podcast a couple of weeks ago and have almost caught up. Wow. <laughs> and I am listening to you talk about the first movie as I write this note. I first saw Daria in Britain in the early aughts, and it struck me as, it, or it struck Ooh. a nerve. I, I got distracted by the fact that I actually said aughts. <laughs> um, I actually, yeah, I picked up on that too. I was like, wow, she hit, she hit the aughts. I know. Um, I don't think I've ever used that in like casual conversation. Anyway, we're getting away from <laughs> the fan mail here. Um he says, it struck a nerve in a positive way because I have never forgotten it, despite only seeing about two episodes back then. I have now watched everything. A couple of times you've discussed a lack of clarity in some actions characters take. For instance, Helen's desire to be both a great parent and a successful lawyer. I actually think that is a strength. People, even smart people, are muddled. <laughs> and we don't always think rationally or consistently. We speak ambiguously, especially when we use language to work through our thoughts. That's so true. What Absolutely. a really good you know, line to draw under that. That's that's so good. Um, for me, the fact that characters in Daria are slightly smudged around the edges is a strength and not a weakness as it makes them more real to me. Looking forward to be uh, catched up and staying with you to the end. Thanks, Leo in SoCal. Yeah, what a really good distinction to make. Um, totally. We speak ambiguously, especially when we use language to work through our thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we better, we do right? plenty of that in, oh, a, in a given yeah. episode. All like, the time. You, know, you, can, you can tell very clearly when we go from, hey, these are our written notes to, hey, we're just going off the dome. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we become just, we just can't talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about this this note and 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 I agree I completely agree that um you know this is what makes complex characters and I wonder if part of it is that the medium that this show is in you know it's a cartoon you know mm -hmm. it's 20 minute cartoon we expect it to be clear cut because sure. of that you know, we expect the characters to be simple, uh, to be tropes, and they're not. And yeah, and I think that sometimes we kind of, um, we we kind of run up against our own stereotypes. <laughs> you know, sure. This this is a show that doesn't have to be animated. This is a show that that could have been live action without any trouble, and and you wouldn't have really lost a whole lot. No. Uh, and and that comes down to the fact that it is so grounded. The fact that it isn't zany, it isn't kooky. You know, you you de you definitely have people who are characters, uh, without question. And you have some exaggerated folk, and you have exaggerated situations and stuff like that. But you know, not a whole lot that really reaches outside of what you would find in like a typical live action sitcom. You know? Yeah. And there's really something to that. There's something to the fact that the show doesn't try to live by the rules of like. A Beavis and Butthead, you know, it, it doesn't try to live to the rules of a Simpsons. It's more kind of along the lines of like a King of the Hill. 
But there, there's something really neat about that, especially a show that's geared at teenagers. Yeah. You know, this is a, a cartoon meant for teenagers and it's still you know, very much kind of rooted in, in reality more than anything else. Yeah. And there's something really awesome about that. It's doing things. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Leo and SoCal yes. for writing in. We really appreciate it. Uh, very sorry that, <laughs> that I'm only getting to it three months later. Um, I actually already apologized to him via email, so uh, we're cool. But <laughs> don't know what happened there, but <laughs> absolutely no idea what happened there. I was looking through the inbox. I was like, "What the? F- oh my god!" So I was like, "Did we cover this one?" There's no way we covered it anyway. Uh, so anyway, thank you so much, Leo. We really appreciate it. And I think now we are going to go into our uh, our outro. Yes. So I'm going to hit the interstitial music, and hopefully, we'll get out of here before the internet craps out on us entirely. <laughs> Okay, that about wraps it up for this episode of Morgan Dorks. Uh, check out our Patreon, I guess. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can sign up at patreon.com slash Morgan Dorks. Uh, we'll essentially be turning it off after our final episode. I might actually be turning it off before our final episode airs, just because I don't necessarily like I don't necessarily want people to get charged at the beginning of the month for. No, oh, that makes sense. You know, uh, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'll. I'll be giving a little bit of thought to that, but I'll probably be turning it off before the final episode airs. You know, in the meantime, you can hop on and hear about, you can hear the uncut versions of each episode, which mostly means about like 10, 10, 15 minutes of banter prior to the actual episode, uh, as well as some of the blooper reels from our very, very early oh, days. Wow. Yeah. Uh, those are now, and, and, bonkers. And now we're just like, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Leave it in the hell with it. Who cares? We still have to figure out what happens to all that material after the Patreon is actually shut down uh, and how folks will be able to access it afterward. I might have to play that by ear. I might have to crowdsource that one. I have to make it, hey, you know, folks, how do you want to access it? Um, anyway, we'll figure that out. As always, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Morgadorks, email us at morgadorks at gmail.com, or check out our website, anchor.fm slash morgadorks. Uh, I will note, I would say check out the uh, I mean, we are recording this on August 24th, 2021, just in case you're listening to this way down the line. Um, but I would say check out our Twitter right now. Check out the the thread about Tom last night. There was a lot of really great discussion in there. Get engaged with us. Please join the, join the conversation. <laughs> also, we're on Facebook. Check out fb.me slash morgandorks.podcast or just search for morgandorks. We're the only thing called morgandorks. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Outpost Daria Reborn. Link is in the show notes. I'm going to hit the outro music now. Yeah, hopefully that, yeah. As always, thank you, Nissa, and thank you, listeners. Oh, thank you, Nissa. And thank you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, listeners. We'll see you again in two weeks with the second half of our coverage of Visit College on Here on Morgan Dorks. <laughs> I, I don't know how I suck so badly at that. And as I say that, the music starts playing again. Oh, my God. Here we go.